Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, privyet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Oof, we have an outstanding, outstanding show with one of the most inspirational guests we've ever had on the show. Scottish athlete David Smith, MBE, joins the show. Now, as you notice, I called him an athlete. That's because David can't be defined by one sport. He's a Nike athlete, speaker, writer, and coach. He's competed internationally in several sports, including Great Britain rowing, British cycling. He's overcome tremendous adversity and now shares both his experience in high-performance sport and his first-hand experience of fighting for his life with a rare tumor. Additionally, David is pursuing a dream of creating the first-ever Jamaican paracycling team as he continues to push both mentally and physically to live and inspire others. David graduated from the University of Bath in 2009, and the very next year, he underwent surgery after doctors found a tumor inside of his spinal cord. The surgery left him temporarily paralyzed. As mentioned earlier, throughout his career, he's been involved in many different sports and activities. He earned a black belt in karate at a young age and took up sprinting because of his desire to compete at the Olympics. In 2006, he attempted a bobsled career, narrowly missing out on the Winter Olympics by one hundredth of a second. As a rower, David landed a gold at the 2009 World Championships and a gold at the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. Because of his services to rowing, David was appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire in 2013. I was blown away by David. He has a highly diverse and acclaimed athletic resume. However, I feel it's the current path that he's on that best represents who David is as a person. On today's episode, David chats about what it was like waking up partially paralyzed and the long and arduous road to rehabilitation and recovery. For David, those periods of illness shaped him for years to come. And he talks about how he, when he was lying in a hospital bed with the potential for him dying, he realized that memories were the only thing that mattered and that memories are from experience and, and it really shaped and formed and fostered a desire to acquire as many memories as possible. David and I have a very similar wavelength, and I connected with David on an energy level. I think we have a similar wavelength, and I love how he chats about the books that played a role in his recovery, but more importantly, I admire his desire to help others. And on today's conversation, he chats about how winning a medal is great, but helping someone else achieve a medal is what his primary goal is now. He's a tremendous human. Medically, what he has overcome is remarkable, but that recovery has strengthened his mind and his spirit and who he is as a person. I truly believe that David was put on this earth to be an inspiration and to help others. And I strongly admire everything he's doing. And once you hear the way he talks, I think you'll be inspired as well. David's currently living in Jamaica and he graciously granted some of his time to chat with us on the show. We were lucky to track him down before he went off into snorkeling into the beautiful Caribbean. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. He is one of a kind. I think you'll be blown away by the rules that he lives by of being present. It's truly exceptional. So let's go ahead and bring on David Smith, MBE, and let's learn. It's weird because as you travel a lot of places, you realize how few places you've actually been. So yeah, yeah. And, you know, and that's one thing that everyone always says, you know, about doing sport. They're always like, oh, it's sport. You're lucky you get to travel. But it's like, you know, Often as an athlete, you get to go to all these beautiful countries, but you never really get to see them because you're you're either from the you know from the airport hotel, hotel the yeah. or yeah. from the hotel to the ski. Yeah, uh, like you know, I, I worked in the, the Olympic ski team for a while, and I was chatting to my friend this morning who, who's been on the team. Man, he's no Baxter, has been on the team for thirty odd years uh, as an athlete and coach, and he sent me a photo of where he is in Cortina in Italy at the moment. He's like, I'm stuck in a ski room doing skis. 
and I only get to see the hotel, the ski room, and the piste. <laughs> so it's like you do get to travel, but you never sometimes get to see the. So I always, most athletes I know always say, you know what, once I retire, I want to go back and go around yeah. all the places that I was as a sports person so I can go and, you know, I guess, exactly. have a beer in the local barn and then just chill rather than only seeing one bit. So, you know, it's, um, I think being a sportsman's privileged, privileged uh, career for the travel side, but um, it's also that it's not always glamorous. People always think it's glamorous, but it's not always. You keep using the word sportsman. And for me, I love that because you're the epitome of a sportsman because you're not just a competitor in one sport. You've competed internationally in multiple sports. And even to the point on your website, your website is davidsmithathlete.com. Just so many different things that you do. It's incredible. So your life has been filled with athletics and sport. What, what sports and activities did you enjoy growing up and, and who were the athletes that you looked up to when you were young? Yeah, so I was pretty fortunate to grow up in the Highlands of Scotland. So I was surrounded by, you know, by mountains, by fresh air. So for me, I, I guess I was a kid that never liked to sit. I didn't want to sit still. I wanted to be constantly moving. So uh, the, the sport in that village was called Shinti and golf actually originates from Shinti. Shinti's got really deep, deep roots of training warriors and stuff. I can't remember the exact dates, but it was the local sport. So for people who don't know Shinti, it's a 12-a-side game. You chase a leather ball. It's very much like hurling, stroke, ice hockey, hockey. And, you know, if you grew up in this village, the only objective or goal in your sporting career was to play for the first team in, in Shinti. wasn't, you know, like... This was bigger than the Olympics. This, you know, to, to win the Scottish Cup in Shinty for these guys was bigger than an Olympic gold. So I sort of fell in love with that sport. And then that branched into karate. In the summer, I spent summers water skiing, windsurfing, jet skiing. And in the winters, I, uh, I spent on the hill snow skiing. Now, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't from a wealthy family. My, my dad's an electrician. My mom's a hairdresser. It just, I think when you grow up in that environment, you know, you, you either know people who have got a water boat and they'll take you water skiing or they know somebody who's somebody. So I was lucky that I, you know, I had my uncle and I had a water ski boat, so we got to use their boat. And then in the winter, I could either ski on the mountain or ski in my back, in the field of my back garden. So I just, you know, for me, it was never about winning medals. It was never about representing national teams. It was just, I guess, what I didn't understand at that point, just the beauty of doing sport, which it was just, it was just moving your body, you know, like channeling all that energy. And, and then that grows as, as you age, you, you know, you become a little bit more maybe obsessed with trying to win something. But for me, it was, and it's kind of gone full circle now, I guess, originally it was just about the enjoyment of just doing sport. And then I went into this little period where I wanted to win. And now it's come full circle where now I'm like, you know what, I couldn't care if I win or not. I just want the experience of, of moving the body and whether, wherever that is. And, you know, so it's kind of come full circle for me, but, uh, I think growing up in the Highlands of Scotland was probably where I got that hunger for sport. Well, what a lovely place to grow up. You attended university at Bath, at University of Bath. In fact, the, the second guest on the show to attend University of Bath, Amy Joy Williams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Amy. I okay. know Amy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I, know, I know her. I don't know her very well, but I do know her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a lot of mutual friends. Yeah, second one. So what were, what were those years like at university? What were your first memories that pop up when you think of that time? So I, I got I to tell you a story about my time at University of Bath. I think I'm very one of the few students to graduate who actually never attended one lecture. So, <laughs> Sounds uh, like my freshman year of university as well. So. Yeah. So, so uh, it was yeah. So whilst I was sort of bobsleighing and, and doing all different things, um, I, I realized I, I I needed a degree. You know that this is like I, I wanted to learn about the 
I'd applied all this stuff physically and psychologically throughout my life, but never really understood the underpinnings of it all. And I thought, you know, if I, I want to work in sport, then I'm going to have to have some form of academic behind me. And at that point, I was offered a job with the British ski team working on the World Cup circuit. So I, I said, you know, spoke to Bath University. They're like, well, you can study online distance learning. Uh-huh. So I actually did the degree distance learning whilst traveling with the British ski team. So my time at university was awesome because I was getting to basically travel the world. You know, I was in, wow. we spent the summer down in Santiago in Chile skiing at La Parva. I would, I'd be up at 4.30 in the morning, go, you know, train, set courses, train, train with the guys all day. And then in the evenings, I'd do my study. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I scraped through some of the exams, but uh, the, the experience was awesome. And to, to go, you know, to Bath University is a pretty highly regarded uni when it comes to sport. Looking back, I think it would have been awesome to have actually gone to the university and experienced the whole classes, meeting people. I think that's the beauty of it. Um, but also to, you know, at the same time to have the opportunity to ski with the guys on the Olympic team and travel all the World Cup races was that, that, that for me was probably, that was probably one of the best times I've ever had in sport. Because, uh, you know, you're, I used to sit on the chairlift to work, commuting to work with like a big stack of race gates. <laughs> and a drill and be sitting on the chair heading up into La Parva above Santiago at five in the morning and think, wow, this is, this is a nice commute to, to work. You know, people are stuck on the M1 and stuff or, or in tubes and I'm sitting on a chairlift about to go and watch the sunrise over, over, over Santiago, which was, a, which was a great experience. Much better commute than my commute to university. I'll say that much better commute. <laughs> Another sport that you compete in, bobsleigh, and you narrowly missed the 2006 Olympics. What was that experience like? Yeah, so I guess uh, my time in, in bobsleigh was kind of, it was short-lived like a lot of my sports. I think, you know, there's a lot of athletes who sort of pick up a sport at a young age. They specialize in it. They might win, you know, six, seven Olympic medals, and then they retire from that sport. And that's kind of, that's the only thing they've done. I've, I guess I've been fortunate not really to win that much, but I've, I've done different sports. I've got like different yeah. experiences. And, and I know from my time in hospital, you know, when you're lying in a hospital bed and you're like potentially going to die, uh, you're no long, you're not, you know, you're not Bradley Wiggins with eight gold medals or, you know, you're, you're literally, oh, you're Bradley Wiggins in bed too. You've just pooed yourself. Can someone clean them? And what I realized at that point is that the only thing you really have is memories and memories are made from experiences and about savoring them. And, and I guess I've just finished reading the alchemist again. And, you know, ah, the guy spoke, yeah. the guy spoke very, one of the stories in there was about being present. You know, I don't live in the future. I don't live in the past. I live very much where I, where I am in the moment. And for me, that's like, that's my personal philosophy, you know, to be where my feet are. So I feel truly blessed that I've been pretty mediocre and not very great at most of the sports I've done, but I've managed to, to experience a lot. I've made friends. And what I take from all of those sports is the friendships, the relationships, because that's really, life's all about relationships. And, you know, and, and, and for me, the, the sport was, that is what it is, but the thing I took from all of the sports I've been in was, was relationships and the guys I met on the Bob team, they've been friends for life and then they've introduced me to other people and et cetera. So going down in a bobsleigh is an amazing experience. It's fun. It's adrenaline packed. Um, I, I spent some time in athletics before that run in two and 400 meters. I would say that was as a competitive athlete running the 400 was definitely one of my most favorite experiences. And then the, the short time I spent on the bobsleigh team trying to get to the Olympics, looking back on it, I did it all wrong. You know, I was so focused on the outcome. I was living, I wasn't living where my feet were. I was, 
you know, it's all about results, 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 goal-driven, goal-driven, and then you don't make it. And you kind of think, well, what was that all about? <laughs> and yeah. actually, the stuff I did take from it was, was friendships and experiences. And so I think my time on ice was, was short-lived, but um, it was fun and it was cool to experience, you know, and, and, not, and not many people get to, to experience sliding down a, you know, a, an ice chute at 80 mile an hour. Um, it's, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a cool thing to have done. Um, but, uh, you know, I love watching it. But, um, yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was very good at it. A terrific mindset, and it's a great book, The Alchemist, great book by Paulo Coelho. And for those keeping score, we've, we've talked about track, we've talked about skiing, we've talked about bobsleigh, but now we're going to talk about another sport, rowing. <laughs> it's, hard, it's, it's tough to keep up with them all, David. So, but a gold medal in rowing at the 2012 Paralympic Games in London, tremendous accomplishment. When you think back to those weeks, what are the memories that stand out, especially doing it on home soil? Yeah, yeah. So... Two years before London, I was diagnosed with, with a life-threatening tumor, uh, and I was given a one in 500 chance of survival and a 50-50 chance of being paralyzed from the neck down. So I actually woke up in, in, a, in a hospital, in a neurological ward, temporarily paralyzed from the neck down two years out from London. And at that point, you're kind of thinking, wow, okay, how do I go from being paralyzed from the neck down to sitting on the start line of, of, a, of one of the biggest sporting events in the world? And and again, it was about, you know, setting all those little small goals, you know, can I sit up? Okay, I can sit up. Can I stand? Can I learn to walk again? And British Sean at the time said, you only have six months to get in a boat if not you're off the team. So that means like you lose your funding, you lose your house, you lose your, your job, you lose your everything. And you're sort of just left there paralyzed. So I was like, well, I only have six months to go from this hospital bed to getting back in a boat. And, and I remember one of the key sessions in there, I turned up to the, the Rowan uh, venue and there was a, an erg and my coach said look you've got to jump on that row machine and do 18 kilometers so for anyone that's done 18 kilometers in a row machine it's not it's not a nice experience yeah. at the best of time especially when you're only just out of hospital like a few months out of hospital so i got on there it was ugly it didn't it it, it took me hours to do it but i remember my coach saying look if you finish this th this is you winning your gold medal in london if, if you don't finish this you are not even going to make london so Fast forward two years, and I'm sat on the start line in London, and I remember saying to myself, I won this medal with all the rehabilitation. And I said, I said to myself in my head, nobody okay. on the start line, as, and this is a Paralympics, so everyone suffered at some level. Yeah. I was like, and I just told myself, look, no one suffered in the last two years more than I have and what I've gone through. Now, that's just, that might not be true. I don't know who the other athletes are and what they've gone through, but as I say, everyone, everyone's but I just told myself that and I was like right okay thousand meters just like literally the last stroke I take will be the last stroke I ever do in this sport it's got to count and um, it was a disaster to start with we had mechanical problems in the boat we pushed off to go and row and our boat fell apart so we kind of thought that someone had sabotaged the boat slightly the the, the backs the bolts that hold in the, the backstays fell into the water and the feet were disconnected so it was like someone had come along and, and tampered yeah. with it but rowan's a gentleman's sport so it, it's hard to believe that would happen so we didn't get a warm-up um and there's two visually impaired athletes in the boat so they can't see and um they're, they're asking what's going on because the warm-up didn't happen yeah. uh all this stuff's going wrong and james who was in front of me he was stroke he's like what's going on and i was like just relax just relax just breathe everything's under control and actually what i could see 
was a complete mess. Um, but we, we got into the start line, we, we got off, and you know, I think there was like almost 25, 30,000 people there that day. And as soon as you heard that crowd, it was, you know, we're used to rowing in front of one man and his dog. And all of a sudden, there's like this roar, and the whole boat just lifted out of the water. And, and we, we went from being two seconds down to, to crossing the finish line two seconds ahead of the Germans. And, you know, man, for, for, to have worked so hard from being paralyzed from the neck down to just getting onto the start line, to then crossing the line in first place, uh, it, was, it was something that was, yeah. And I guess at the time I didn't really realize how much, how special that was. Because so many people win. Like I know people have got seven medals, ten medals. So you kind of take it for granted a little bit. But now, what I know now, after six spinal surgeries, four diagnoses, that medal might be the only ever Paralympic Olympic medal I win. So it's a very special medal. And it's only kind of now that I'm starting to see that. And I think that's the difference with you know, with knowledge and wisdom, you can have knowledge as a youngster, but you don't have wisdom. But as you age, and I'm 43 almost now, and you kind of start to reflect on your life when you've almost died four or five times. And I realize actually, you know what, that, that one medal was special. I often talk to athletes who say, you know, the training, that's when you do win the gold medal. But I love when you said that, when you got in there and you said, you know, I won this two months. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. Another amazing accomplishment in your life. You were awarded an MBE for your contribution to rowing. So, I mean, come on. First of all, I have to ask, how is it like receiving notification? Because the people that I've talked to who received notification, it comes in an ominous, a very official-looking envelope to the point that a former guest said, you know what, I'm not going to open that yet because that looks like bad news. And so, how is it like, first of all, hearing the notification that you had it and then just the overall experience? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I never really did sport for Meadows, I guess. I never really did sports, certainly at an Um but it was one of these, I guess it was one of these moments again that, that it's an experience, it's a memory, and it's something that's kind of cool to do. And that, that sort of year after the games, because it was a home games as well, there was, I think it was different special. So we, we had the, the closing ceremony parade, the, the, the floats went all the way through London, and a million people lined the streets. That was mind-blowing. And then I remember going to the opera to the last night of the proms and we actually brought uh, the Olympic team and the Paralympic team up onto the stage to sing Britannia Rules the Waves. And I, was, I remember standing and thinking, wow, I'm actually stood on the stage at last night of the proms singing to God knows how many million people that are watching this. <laughs> and, and then you do all these other cool things and then eventually you go to Buckingham Palace. I remember going to Hollywood Palace with Chris Hoy and me and Chris both stayed the night in Hollywood Palace and had a special breakfast in the morning. That was cool. There was all these cool things going on, going on around. And again, you know, I, I mean, I have to be honest about it and be like, it was such a whirlwind. I don't think I ever stopped to think, wow, this is like yeah. once in a lifetime. It's very special. And again, it wasn't until probably being diagnosed with, with, you know, with a tumor for the fourth time where I started to think, okay, I'm probably never going to do these things again. Yeah. Actually, these things were really special. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, wish, I wish somebody could have just told me that at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you know not, not to be, again, live where your feet are. Be in the moment. Be present. You know, don't, yeah. don't look through, live life through one of these screens, looking at everything. And, and I, just, I just wish someone had said, you know what, you're, gonna, you're, you're still going to face harder battles yet. Yeah. So I mean, really enjoy these moments. And that's something I always try to say to people from what I've learned just from fighting for my life so many times that when, when these moments do come around, just be fully present and just, you know, enjoy them and don't worry what people are thinking or saying, just 
you know, embrace them and just, you know, make, make experiences and make memories. That's, that's what life's all about. Only time you've been there? Or have you been there no, no, once? no. I've been, I've been there a few times. Oh, that's so another thing. There. I hope you appreciate that now. I hope that's not one of those things I that do. five years from now you don't. I hope you <laughs> no, no, I really do. And I actually, I tell you, what, the coolest experience I ever had there is the, the British Paralympic Association ahead of Rio asked me to come in and do a little talk to a, a select lunch in the palace. Mm. And when I arrived at the gate, they couldn't take me through the main gate. They had to take me through the staff entrance. So they took me through the staff entrance and I went through all the nooks and crannies and the back rooms of Buckingham Palace to then get into this grand room where I sat down with, with a few members of the royal family and we had lunch for like three or four hours with, with key people who were key stakeholders of Paralympics GB who, who were there to just raise some money. And, and again, this was, this was only two weeks or three weeks before I think I went back into hospital that that uh, led to my paralysis so again it was one of these moments when I had all four limbs and again I, I didn't take it for granted I remember walking through Buckingham Palace going wow this is cool like there's one thing going <laughs> through the main gate but coming yeah. through the staff entrances it was really cool and um, I've been there a few times for the Duke of Edinburgh awards so I was very fortunate to go and talk to the kids who received their gold gold award in the gardens so again and I, I don't just want to go to these like I don't just want to go to a garden party just to say I've been in the past. I think if you can go there and deliver a talk to oh, youngsters, yeah. that, that's, that's really what's, that's, you know, that's a really crucial thing because you can change one life for somebody for the rest of their life. And I think, Very you know, cool. there's a lot of, if you've done stuff, whether it's in sport or business, whatever it is, to share that with young people, I think is a, is a real gift. And, and that's something that, yeah, so I've been at Buckingham Palace a few times. Uh, <laughs> what a, what a sentence. That's such an amazing sentence to say. I've been at Buckingham Palace a few times. That's, who presided over your ceremony? Uh, Prince Charles. Uh, when I raced at Dorney, you know, we had some royal people come to watch. And, uh, you know, they remember that. And, and I didn't think they'd ever remember it. And then you, you see them like two years later and they're like, oh, I still remember your race at Eton that day. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. Oh, what a moment. What a moment. Another thing you're working on, you're aiming to create the first Paralympic cycling team for Jamaica. Again, another sport. It's, it's incredible. How's that process going? What are some of the upcoming goals that you have? And, and then I'm also curious how coaching and being in part of the creation of a team, how that's changed your perspective of not necessarily cycling, but just sport in general as being an athlete. Yeah, I think so. Another thing for me is the – after I went through so many more surgeries, I had more paralysis, uh, I've seen my athletic abilities declining uh, and I'm struggling to do what I could do pre-paralysis and stuff. And then I started thinking, you know, it'd be great to actually help someone else win a medal. I've had that experience and it's an amazing experience. And, and you know, you hear a lot of times saying that sport is a selfish endeavor. It's all about you. And, and I often think, you know, if we, if we really search for the, you know, the pursuit of happiness, if we look at happiness as a currency, uh, you know, the, one of the Yale professors talks beautifully about it. That actually, an act of kindness is is can really help. You know, Ryan makes two Nolan, people happy. Uh, you, yeah, you, 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 and that's when I started to think. You know, yeah, it makes two people happy. So I was yeah. thinking, you know, okay, this I've had some great experiences, and it'd be awesome to change a life. And this is the thing with Paralympic sport is it really does change lives because you've had someone who's been met with huge adversity, and actually, this is an opportunity. So on one of my trips to Jamaica, I heard about a guy who, Marla Rodman, who had been a professional athlete, professional cyclist at the high, you know, a high level, had a motorbike crash, lost his function of his arm, was lost, didn't really know what to do, then had a stroke, 
to all this bad stuff happening to him. Lives in a place called Spanish Town, which is a pretty rough, you know, mm. pretty rough area. I mean, Jamaica is really edgy. You know, it's paradise, but it's with paradise with an edge. You know, yeah. we'd, I drove past a place yesterday, and there'd been a shootout, and army were guns, and you know, and then the next minute you're in blue sand, you know, white sand beaches. So it, it's a real contrast. And I just, the more time I spent here, that you know. The people I get, I love the people. You know, out of many, one is one of their, you know, one of their philosophies. It's it's an incredible island, and I just thought, you know, there's so much athletic talent here uh, for Olympic and Paralympic stuff. But I see guys with one leg who have maybe lost in a motorbike crash, and they're, you know, they're on the street homeless. And I'm thinking, wow, you know what? You you could do, you could be a Paralympian, and mm -hmm. that's life changing. And so I start to think, you know. I'm passionate about cycling. Uh, I still want to compete, and so I don't want to not compete. But I'm thinking, how cool would it be at the same time? Is is trying to create something that's never been done before, and that's where I started to have these conversations around. Okay, could we get a Jamaican paracycling team, and what would that look like? Unfortunately, I'm you're met with the usual politics of trying yeah. to raise money, trying to get bikes. You know, I, I emailed every single bike manufacturer in the world for not one company to be interested. I emailed all the clothing companies. Not one clothing company was interested, and I was like, "Come on, we're we're talking two athletes, mm -hmm. and you know it's literally nothing in the budget, but it it's life changing because if Marlow goes and wins a medal or represents it, that changes every disabled kid's perception, and not just in Jamaica but the whole Caribbean, mm -hmm. and you know, in a lot of ways, as European countries, we owe that to them." You know, we owe we owe that you know to to help these countries. We came in here years ago and we reaped the benefits from them. So we yeah. actually owe to help people. You know, and so I I felt very passionate about it, and I feel it's something that that I can do. And I and it, you know, COVID kind of messed up a lot of stuff, but I feel that eventually, if I keep knocking on bike door companies and clothing companies, somebody will be like, you know what, we'll throw you a couple of bikes, we'll throw you a couple of bits of kit, and see where the whole journey goes. Um, and yeah, you know, who knows, you know, in Tokyo where the games happen this year or not, it's not likely to happen. But in Paris in 2024, I, I fully believe there'll be a paracycling team there. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it'll be made up of, but um, I think we can have it there. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I, I got to ask you, though, you've been living in Jamaica for a while now. For someone visiting the country for the first time, what would be your recommendations? And unlimited time on this answer, because I know you've got a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, get off the beaten track you know, yeah. it's, you know it's nice to come to the big hotel chains and stay in there but you know the real beauty of jamaica is actually out with the people you know the, like oh, obviously there's no go areas so you have to be a little bit careful but you know there's it's like get out get out of the hotel get out of that complex that tells you that it's too dangerous out on the streets and you know go out and and meet meet the locals you know find out where the safe areas are to go obviously don't take any risks but you know speak to speak to some people who have done that been there maybe backpacking or some local jamaicans and get somebody to take you out you know go and explore the blue mountains taste some blue mountain coffee in the blue mountains you know not sat in your hotel you know go out and and meet some of the guys who are selling you know jerk on on their road on their roast at the side of the road mm. you know little bars and stuff and you know it's it's an incredible place and like i say that the, the there, there's so much love here and you know there's so many the, people and nice people obviously there's the edgy side where there's a you know a huge history of gang violence and stuff um but on the on the flip side of that you know i have with a disability and moving around here i so many people are nice to me so many people are loving 
you know, caring. They'll come out their way to help you. And, and they're warm. It's a warm people, you know. And for me, I always say to people, if you're coming here, you know, don't, don't be a prisoner to your all-inclusive hotel. You know, be curious. That's the beauty with life. It's, be curious. You know, one of the yeah. great things in life is be, be curious, you know, and, and, and step out of your little comfort zone and go and, go and explore and, you know, obviously be, be wise. Don't put yourself in danger, but uh, at the same time, be curious. And, and I often say that to my, you know, my friends who, who have come here. I'm like, you know, when you're relying on that sun lounger in your five-star resort, where you're not curious about what was on the other side, you know, going over there and speaking to somebody, and they're like, oh, no, I was too scared. And I was like, don't be scared. Just go out and be, yeah, man, how you doing? You know, wah, wah. And, and, you know, and you engage in some conversation, play some dominoes, you know, just, just experience the culture. And I think that's one thing we're guilty of doing. We can travel the world and we don't often experience the culture. You know, Brits are terrible for that. They'll go to Spain and the first thing they'll look for is a British restaurant. Or, yeah. you know, it's like go and taste foreign food, you know, experience street food, experience, you know, live as a local, go and, I went up and stayed with a Rasta up in the Blue Mountains in a little shack. One of the best, best experiences I've ever had. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was rustic as, as, you know, I was washing, you'd wash in the river in the morning. And, and it was like, it was, it was better than any five-star hotel I've ever stayed in. Um, and then we're just eating roasted yams with some saltfish at the side of the road. And, you know, life is simple. We, we you know, as a society now, we put so much uh, emphasis on, what we've got to have all these things around us to make us happy. But actually, if we look at the core of it, you know, having simple things is, you know, like I, I'm good friends with a guy called John McAvoy, who, who's got an incredible story. Um, and he did a post today that said, you know, after all these years of living and chasing all this stuff, he says, I realize I'm most happy in the mountains mm. with the simple things. And I was like, yeah, that's just, you know, that we don't need much. Nature's provided everything we need. In all of my travels, one of the best locations for the outdoors is Scotland. And this place where you grew up. So bonus question, you talk about mountains. What would be your recommendation for someone visiting Scotland for the first time? I know you're going to say get out and explore. So where should they get out and explore to? Again, away from the cities. Yeah, you yeah. know, people always go Edinburgh, Glasgow. I, I meet so many people that are like, oh, yeah, I've been to Edinburgh, Glasgow. It's like, yeah, but did you get on the train and go to Aviemore? Or did you go, you know, further in Inverness? Did yeah. you go up to, you know, Bielicha Bar? Did you go to Orkney, I, you know, Stornoway? And they're like, no. And it's like, well, you know, the North, the North Coast 500's there. That's a great route to cycle or drive, you know, just, again, get out there and go and see things. And this is, again, it's something that, you know, before my paralysis, I did a lot of backcountry skiing. So I would put on skins and skin up over the mountains, you know, and then ski down with head torches on and, and stuff. And you know, I, I can't really do that anymore because I've, I've lost basically everything from the neck down on one side of my body. So I, oh, again, it's like people say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. And, you know, when, when I was in hospital, I've, I've spent 11 years in, in ICU and hospitals on cancer wards and, and all sorts of stuff. And and there was nobody in any of those beds that ever said, you know what, I wish I worked more. Every person was like, God, I wish I'd just gone skiing that one time or I wish I did this. I wish I'd, you know, not to have a bucket list because if you wait until you retire, you might not, you might not see retirement. It's like just getting out and doing those things and, and, and don't put them off. And, and again, this was something I noticed when I was in radiotherapy. I'd spend every single day on a cancer ward getting radiotherapy and everyone was smiling, everyone was happy come up onto the street and everyone was sad and depressed in, in London. And I was thinking, what is wrong with that? Did it take such a big knock on people's lives to go, whoa, okay, what's really important to me? Friends, family, okay, you need to have a job to put a roof over your head. But 
if you are blessed enough to be able to to go and explore you just get out of there and explore the world you know and, and don't you know push those boundaries go and try new things and you know life's pretty short we're we're here for a very limited time it's about getting out there and making the making the most of it and i know people who listen to your your podcast and follow your work they're going to be people who are already on the same page as us um, but i often think that we have a, we have a duty to try and encourage other people we have a, a duty to go out and say to our people look nature's providing everything you need you don't need a smartphone and uh and netflix to, to enjoy yourself you need to put that stuff down and, and, and get out get out there and, and get moving i mean you talk about enjoying your sleep you talk about smiling i've smiled this entire time we've been talking i don't think i smiled on, a, on an interview as long as much as this this has been this has been incredible and also you mentioned you know the alchemist and, and the alchemist is so much about energy and you've got it man you've got the energy i feel it coming off i appreciate respect it's so cool but you just remind me two nights ago i was parked outside one of the little pubs in in way in the bush in jamaica and this guy came out really strong patwa i had no idea what he was saying he had a spliff in one hand and a ball of red stripe in another hand. He then proceeded to get on his motorbike and drive to the next <laughs> pub. But he was like, you know, I'm not you know, that you shouldn't be doing that. But um, he was so happy, but I had no idea what he was saying to me. All I kept saying was, "Yeah, man, yeah, man," just smiling. And um, but I picked up on his energy, you know, his tone. I knew his tone was friendly and it was warm, so he wasn't trying to attack me. And um, but yeah, accents again. It's it's. You know, trying to learn a little bit the local accents yeah. or the culture, the language. It's, you know, like we said earlier on, relationships are so key. And again, the alchemist talks a lot about you know having those relationships and, and uh-huh. sort of living, I guess, that that philosophy in life. So, what's next? What's next? What's what the project plans? Yeah. So for me, I have to live my life every six months. So I have a scan every six months, and that scan tells me if my tumor is stable, growing, or whatever. So I kind of have to live every six months which is really challenging psychologically and that that's a hard in one ways it's a gift and in other ways it's, yeah. it's very stressful yeah. because it, it's a gift that really says like i need to live today yeah like, okay what what will happen will happen we don't own tomorrow so as long as i'm fully present give a hundred percent to every goal or every intention i set in a day then the future will take care of itself whatever it may be uh, and as an athlete that's kind of hard because you're always thinking olympics 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 um but I have to remind myself and think, okay, you know, there, there's a chance I might not be alive in four years. There's a chance, none of, you know, who knows what's, what's written tomorrow. So I'm very much like, okay, I have these long-term goals of coming back and winning a medal, going to Paris 2024, racing in the world championships in 2023. That might be for Jamaica. It might be for Great Britain. Who knows? Um, I'm not going to get too stressed about how I get there. But I sort of wake up every morning. Before I even pull the duvet back, I do a minute of breathing. I set one intention for the day. And I say gratitude and then I put my feet on the floor and just say, David, be where your feet are today. Live in the present moment. You don't own tomorrow. And then that's, I try to just go about my day sort of life like that. Now, obviously that's not, you know, we can't all do that. There's bills to pay and stuff. But um, for me, the perfect scenario signing off would be standing on the podium in 2023 at the World Champs, Pan Am Games, having a Jamaican para team at Paris 2024. And then just stepping back from it all and, and, and along the way, trying to help people, you know, trying to, to, to sort of share the lessons, not so much from sport, but from really fighting for your life on, on award and, and, you know, what, what that's like and, you know, trying to, to help that sort of people understand that, you know, before you get diagnosed with that life threatening fight, go out and live your life. And for me, that's if, 
if I can fin if I can be at the end of my day lying in my bed and just be, you know, I changed a few lives. That's worth more than any gold medal uh, for me. So, yeah, you know, if if we get the COVID under control and yeah, that would be the nice way to sign off with with a, uh, you know, not even maybe even wearing a medal in Paris, just actually being on the start line, mm-hmm. and, and you know whether that's in a British race suit or a Jamaican race suit from you know i kind of i'd like it to be a jamaican race suit if i'm being hey, green looks honest. good on you green green and black yeah, that's such an I, I, yeah <laughs> you know the way i am right now if i didn't have to go home to london for a scan i don't know if i'd ever leave this island yeah. you know there's there's, there's a real romance to beauty about yeah. this island it's just you know you know as well and there's no coincidence that this is where ian fleming wrote all the james bonds you know it's yeah. it's, it's such a creative place and there's just you know man we didn't you know, like it was Bob Marley's birthday a few days ago, you know, and you got guys like that coming out of an island like this. It's just, yeah, they're so, you know, you, you'd be hard pushed to go anywhere in the world and, and for, no, for anyone to say anything bad about Jamaica. Yeah, it's true. So I'd love to have you back to talk specifically about mental health, meditation, the focusing, and, and we do a whole conversation just on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that because that, that's something that's really passionate to me because you know, when, when I was paralyzed in 2016, you know, I, I woke up, I walked into hospital with no symptoms. I woke up paralyzed from the neck down. Six months later, I'm still in hospital. I'd been moved from, you know, 10, nine, 10 weeks on a, a neurological ward, then into a spinal cord ward. And, you know, to go through that once is tough, but then to know that you're going to have to potentially go through spinal injuries repeatedly for the rest of your life. And, and then it's like flipping a coin. One time you might die in one of these surgeries. It, it's a real battle mentally so i have mm-hmm. delved into you know like victor frankel's man's search for me now we're talking now we're yeah, talking I, yeah i've dived in really deep into a lot of the stuff i went and studied positive psychology I've, I've, I've done a whole host of courses on the meaning of life being uh, and I've, I mean, I've tried to look at the scientific literature but then also anecdotal and my own experiences and people i've met as well and you know and, and sort of trying to you know so I loved, yeah, like I love diving into that stuff. And, and I, you know, and I tell it as it is uh, my own personal experience of what that's like. And, you know, the, the language around cancer is always really sensitive. Some people don't like the word battle and fight. For me, I grew up as a fighter doing karate. So for me, my mindset has always been, well, this is a fight, but a fight is a, it's a game of chess and it's all about emotional regulation. And this is the thing, some people who have not done martial arts and fighting sports, they think it's a bunch of people just beating each other up. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. Fighters probably have more emotional regulation than any other athlete in the world because they have to channel that. And karate, UFC, MMA, judo, all these fights, it's like chess. So it's all strategy. And navigating cancer and tumor and paralysis is in your mind is, is like a game of chess and emotional regulation. And that comes down to breath work, and, and that's one thing I knew, and I guess we'll delve into it more the next time, when I was in anesthetic, and I felt just before the minutes before the anesthetic went in, and your mind's racing, and you're, and you're losing control, you're giving up control to something that's greater than you, and you might never wake up again, and you're looking around the room thinking, is this the last thing I'm ever going to see? Mm-hmm. But the two things you can control in that instance is your thoughts and your breathing. But if you try and control your thoughts, it's extremely difficult. But if you can control your breathing... Mm-hmm you actually step out of those and you slow those racing thoughts down. So, and then that controls oh, yeah. your whole autonomic nervous system and then just calms it. And, you know, guys like Victor Frankl had this, they were, on, they were onto this stuff. Well, you know, people have been doing breathing for over two and a half thousand years. The original the origins of yoga were not even movement. Mm-hmm. It was all just about breathing. 
So, you yeah, and I, and you I, and I are on the same wave, wavelength. We're on the same yeah. wavelength. So this is this Blessed. is great. It's really interesting because I dived in James Nestor's book Breath, and then dived in a lot. Mm. Of work I don't know this one. I got to write. I got to add this one real quick. Amazing book, and then a guy called Patrick McEwen who who does a lot of uh, breath stuff, and and, I, and then I started to realize that wow, this is like the foundation of a house. Yeah. It's like the philosophy of martial arts. If you don't build a strong foundation, then the, the house is going to be weak. And you can do all the training, you can do all the mind work, you can do all the physical work. If you're not breathing right, then none, you're not, if you're not breathing right, you're not going to move right, you're not going to sleep right, and you're not going to eat right. So I always think, I have this little thing in my head, if you breathe well, you're more likely to move well, you're more likely to sleep well, you're more likely to eat well. And if you get those four things right, then you can, your body's fueled optimally then to do whatever it is, whether it's diving, surfing, golf, chess, business. It's, it's, it's looking after the machine. And I think sometimes we get caught up, whether it's in the corporate world or the sport world, it's all about technical and tactical work. Mm-hmm. And we actually get that training, training the mind is as important, but actually by training, if we train the breath, we kind of learn how to control the mind and control those states. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Like, and I feel that we're in a very, we've got a similar frequency, yeah. similar energy frequency. And that, yeah, I think if you read The Alchemist and Man's Search for Meaning, the people who read those books are just, there's a little bit, they're, they're slightly different people. But it's, it's more than just reading it. It's doing something with it. So yeah, yeah. That, yeah you're absolutely right. And I think you, it's so easy to intellectualize things, but actually to then adapt it and then actually make it a habit and live it is a different, that's a different thing altogether. All Hopefully I get to Jamaica or I catch up with you and yeah, uh, yeah. we share some jerk chicken. I mean, I, I haven't I've been to Jamaica man. yet, so that'll be. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, my, yeah, well, you know, it looks like I ain't going anywhere any, anytime soon. So there's an open invite, man. There's an open invite. Come, come down sometime. We'll drink some blue mountain coffee and eat some jerk chicken at the side of the road. Sign me up. I don't that want to hold you up anymore because you're about to go, you're about to go snorkeling. So I don't want to hold you up. So this I'm going is. Go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and swim with some stingrays. <laughs> My man, this was this was fantastic. Uh, just exceeded my expectations. You're awesome, and it's just like right. I said, it's that frequency. We'll we'll chat again soon, and I know we'll stay in touch. But just thank you so much for today. No, no blessings, man. Thank you so much. All right, cheers, man. Peace. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Much appreciation to David. Make sure to follow him on social media, or for more information, check out davidsmithathlete.com. I love and appreciate your mindset of being present, and I do my best to live to the standard that you've created. Set some fins aside and I'll be there to snorkel with you soon. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. <laughs>